Sandra McDowell surprised a lot of political observers when she beat better-funded and better-known candidates in the Republican primary for auditor. Now she's turning her sights on state auditor Nicole Galloway, one of the last remaining statewide Democrats in Missouri. The Republican joins us next on the latest edition of Politically Speaking to talk about her platform and respond to some of the attacks that have come about during the campaign. Let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking podcast, a candid conversation with the Show Me State's biggest political newsmakers. I'm Jason Rosenbaum. And I'm Joe Manish. Elections should be about your accomplishments. What have you done to qualify you for the position and why are you qualified to run? I'm going to push back on these regulators. I'm doing this for the people. I was encouraged along the way, not just by my family, but by a lot of teachers and professors and knew when I was in college that I would run for office someday. We're very excited about the prospect of having some more free market solutions. Even though after the conversation, I still might not agree. We want our listeners to get a real sense of what drives these people. They're actually people with a story to tell. Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Lufu's Alfa Romeo, offering test drives of the Alfa Romeo Giulia, the 2018 Motor Trend Car of the Year at Lufu's Alfa Romeo in Fairview Heights. And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, Jason Rosenbaum, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me in studio today is... Colleague Joe Manis. And coming all the way from beautiful Jefferson City, Missouri, we have the Republican nominee for state auditor... Sandra McDowell. Uh, we are thrilled to have uh, really. We're thrilled to have you in the studio because we want to give you the chance to explain your platform and this race, which I and I've said this to Auditor Galloway. I think this is one of the most important races that will be decided this year, not just because of the political implications, but because the job of auditor is legitimately important. So I'm really glad we got both candidates on for the voters to know who they're voting on. And that's going to be my first question. Tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and why you decided to jump into the crazy world of electoral Missouri politics. Sure. Thank you so much for having me on. I really do appreciate it. Uh, so I am an Air Force veteran. I was in the Air Force for eight years, six years active duty, two years in the reserves. I was a medical technician and I did cardiac intensive care work until I was deployed overseas after 9-11. And then I took care of everything you could possibly imagine that happens during war, burns, gunshot wounds, amputations. I fixed our, our critically wounded soldiers and helped them either get back, uh, rehabilitated and get back out or um, a lot of them going back to the States because they were too critically wounded to go back out. Uh, and so I, I loved being in the Air Force, but I always wanted to go to law school. So I got out and went into law school immediately. Where'd you go? I went to Regent University in Virginia Beach. It's a, it's a Christian school. Okay. And uh, met my husband there and uh, and uh, decided to uh, go into a firm after law school. I did disability law and then joined my husband at his practice. And then we uh, we actually had our first set of twins there. And then a year later, we had our second set of twins and decided, you know, it uh, four babies uh, within two years of each other. We thought we probably should get um, set incomes coming in. So I yeah. went to the attorney general's office and uh, started, uh, started practicing for the state. And that was really the the best thing an attorney can really do because you get to be the good guy and you get to wear the white hat because Missouri is your client. And so I really love doing that. I started out in work comp and then uh, very quickly moved over to the Medicaid program where we audited and investigated Medicaid providers who were billing the Medicaid system. We would make sure they were doing that appropriately. Uh, if not, we'd make them fix problems, pay back money, or we would uh, terminate their provider status and then go through litigation that direction. If it was criminal uh, in nature, 
nature, then we would refer that for criminal prosecution. But I would prosecute them on the civil side of the matter. And then when Secretary Ashcroft came into office, um, I was uh, offered his the job of director of enforcement for the securities division. So I uh, led an entire division of, of enforcement investigators looking into securities fraud. So that's like your investment advisors, broker dealers. We did basically the same thing with Medi- as Medicaid uh, with securities. We audited them, investigated them, made sure they were doing what they should be doing with your hard-earned money. And if not, made them pay back money, fix problems, or uh, prosecuted them uh, civilly. Now, I guess I should have asked you at the very beginning, where did you grow up? I grew up in Oklahoma, actually. I uh, went into the military at 19 years old and uh, and lived in Texas for a while, um, uh, Florida, and uh, Iowa. and gra- graduated from Drake University, my undergrad, before I went to law Wait, school. Where in Oklahoma, by the way? Enid, Oklahoma. Okay. My, my grandma's from Ponca City. Sure. So I know where Ponca City is. I am always <laughs> glad to meet another Oklahoma native because I have Oklahoma roots, believe it or not, and I, I love the state dearly. Oklahoma's a great place place, really good people there. Uh, I, I always knew that I w- was would go somewhere else. I There was not really a lot going on there. And I was always a very uh, enthusiastic, hard worker, wanted to do so much with my life. And so that's when I joined the military. So, so you ended up in Missouri because? My husband's from Missouri. He was okay. born in St. Louis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, been there, done that. <laughs> so let's talk about the GOP primary for auditor because there, there, there is a bit of a backstory. Originally, House Speaker Todd Richardson was thinking of running and would probably have cleared the field pretty easily. He decided not to run last year, which meant that there was a four-way primary for auditor. And a lot of- Republican. For Republican. Um, When we looked at uh, the candidates, when by we, I mean reporters, we saw people like David Wassinger, who was self-funding. We saw State Representative Paul Kurtman, who had a pretty enthusiastic grassroots base. And uh, you defeated- not only both of them, but another candidate as well, by a pretty solid margin, despite the fact that you raised very little money. I mean, you were heavily outspent. Um, so can you talk about a little bit about, A, why you think you won and what sort of lessons you got out of that? Sure. Well, I never thought I would run for office. This is something that I really feel called to do. Uh, and so when I made this decision, uh, it wouldn't have mattered whether Speaker Richardson or anyone else was a candidate that, you know, if, if I feel like God is telling me to do something, it nothing's going to deter me on that. Uh, and so I did have very well qualified candidates running against me with a lot more money than I did a few of them. Uh, but I worked very, very hard. And I, I went, I've been all over this state from right after I resigned from the Secretary of State's office, because you can't work for the state and be a candidate for office. Uh, the next day, I was I was going nonstop, and I have put over fifty thousand miles on my car. Um, uh, went every to every place I could go to. You know, every Lincoln Day, McKinley Day, uh, ice cream social, barbecue, chili supper. I've been to them, and I've been meeting the people, uh, and I've enjoyed it. And, and for a race like this, you really need to get out and meet the people uh, because you need to hear their concerns and, and what they expect of the auditor. And so I have been doing that. I've heard the people, and I'm ready to get in and, and bring those concerns to the. The auditor's office. So let's talk about what you would do differently than the current auditor. You're running against Nicole Galloway. She was appointed to the position after Tom Schweik's death. Um, it's difficult to defeat a down ballot incumbent, but Tom Schweik did that in 2010 against Susan Monte. 
Why do you think you would be a better auditor than her? And what would be some things you would want to do differently? So I uh, knew Tom Schweik. I was the Greene County Republican woman president when I lived in Springfield and was very, very impressed with what Auditor Schweik was doing. And so when I moved to Jeff City, I started hearing about all the problems in the auditor's office because people kind of move around in Jeff City and talk and talk to, you know, staffers from the office, attorneys from the office, and um, started hearing about the how bad the office became after Tom Schweik passed away and Galloway. Can you be specific? Sure. So I specifically, I heard about employment issues. There's very uh, low morale, poor communication there, which leads to high turnover in the office. Um, the auditors uh, are, are not being able to get out and do their job. They're still traveling uh, heavily. And there's so many changes that could be made to really increase morale there and keep the auditors uh, where they don't have that revolving door of auditors coming in and out. Uh, but also with these audits specifically, the follow-ups were not being done. Under Tom Schweik, uh, if, if a poor, a fair audit was released, they would come in afterwards and do a, a six-month follow-up on a poor, a year follow-up on a fair, and that just wasn't happening. Uh, school districts are going unaudited. The court system is being is going unaudited, and so that really raised um, raised my eyebrows a lot to say, okay, well, what is she doing in this office? And uh, apparently, you know, that she obviously doesn't have the leadership and management experience to run uh, a, a well-run office there. And I knew that with my bio, my my resume, my experience, that I'd be able to go in and do that. Now, one of the things you proposed is what? Having people not travel so much to the site, but do stuff online? How would that work, and how would they have access to as many records? Sure. So that's what we've done with Medicaid and securities. Uh, the auditors go out and they collect the documents on site, whether they scan those in or they make copies, and then they bring them back to their office and do desk audits. And so if they if they're lacking documents or they feel like they need more documents, they'll contact uh, wherever they're uh, com- completing the audit and, and gather those documents if they need that, or they go back out and collect more. But they don't spend two months, six months, however long that they're doing. You know, depending on the audit, they don't spend that time out in the field. And if you cut that out, then that's going to cut your hotel expenses, your travel costs, and they can actually conduct more than one audit while they're out at a place and, and just make it more efficient. Well, how would they get the records to be able to examine this stuff if they're not there? So they go and they scan them in. So they go to the site the one day, um, ask for the documents, have them provide it, either bring a scanner with them to, to cut down on co- copy costs that way, scan them all in, take that back with them. Or if the, if there's not a scanner scanner available, I, I would I would probably implement that and, and provide scanners. Um, Um, And and that way it would also be all electronic as well. Um, You know, as you mentioned, one of the things that Tom Schweik implemented in the office was following through on a poor or fair audit. Um, One of the things that one of your opponents talked about, State Representative Paul Kurtman, was trying to go to the legislature and being more aggressive at, uh, you know, if there's a recommendation that the legislature needs to do something, uh, the you know, trying to make sure that they actually follow through on that. Would that be your philosophy as well? And how would you work with the legislature to turn what amounts to basically recommendations into tangible changes. Definitely. Like I said, the the, my, the candidates who were running against me in the primary were very well qualified, had some really great ideas. And so I listened to those. And um, since I won the primary, I've been talking about that, that I'm, I'm planning on implementing as many ideas of theirs as I possibly can, because like, like Paul, um, they had great ideas, you know, spending more time with the legislature trying to implement uh, better policies and procedures for the auditor's office, but also just working with uh, the state reps and the senators 
members uh, to be able to get things done, like the budget committee. Paul was very adamant that the auditor should be going to the budget committees, and I completely agree. And I will be in the budget meetings uh, as much as as much as I can to be able to help with the budget. The auditor's office can help with that in so many ways, and that's not currently being done. Uh, Kevin Roach was another person that was running, and he had some great ideas for modernizing the office that, again, I took note of. And I've already been in contact with both Paul and Kevin uh, to implement those ideas. And after I win, I'm going to sit down with them even more and, and try to work with them to try to get some of their ideas passed there. And this was a question, a line of questioning I asked Nicole Galloway, because both her office and Tom Schweik's office have highlighted issues with low-income housing tax credits and tax credits in general. The legislature is about to embark on possibly making big changes to that program. And I asked her, and I'm going to ask you, what role would you want to play in helping the legislature overhaul that system? Because the state auditor's office has been typically the biggest source of information that that program is inefficient. And while the legislature needs to change that program, I do feel the auditor's office could play a supplementary role. So I'm interested in your opinion on that, because if you are elected, your office may be brought in when the legislature is discussing that in 2019. Definitely. And I would like to work with them in whatever ways they need me to do. You're, you're completely correct. I mean, the auditor's office is the one that's going out and auditing all of the places uh, to make sure that the taxpayer money is being used efficiently, effectively. Not just that, but their policies and procedures in the offices, making sure that they're being being conducted efficiently. And so if they need information uh, you know, that we can gather through an audit to be able to help them with that, they can always call me. I've met most of the reps, Republican reps and, uh, and Senate and I'd love to work with the Democrats as well. I think that this the auditor's office should be very nonpartisan and non-biased. And I'm going to be auditing everyone the same, Republicans and Democrats, in any way I can help with any kind of legislation they're trying to pass. Uh, I would love to do that. And I, I just want to put that out there for every one of them. Like I said, Republicans and Democrats, the same. They can call my office and I will be there to help in whatever ways I can. Now, Clean Missouri, if it passes, would give the auditor's office Um, the responsibility of formulating a process to select the demographer that will draw the House and Senate lines. You're on record as saying you're opposed to clean Missouri, but it could be a situation where you're elected and you have to implement this process uh, even if you don't like it. And this is, again, a similar line of question I've asked Auditor Galloway. The concern that I have is that an auditor is going to come in, they're going to take applications, and they're just going to put forth to the Senate leaders Three Republican consultants are three Democratic consultants. I want to ask you right now, if you're elected and Clean Missouri passes, can you pledge to the people of Missouri that you're not just going to put overtly partisan demographer candidates to the Senate leaders. Yes, and that's my concern with this um, redistricting going to the auditor's office because, you know, I plan to win this and I plan to do it in a very nonpartisan way. Uh, I What my plan has been since since the get-go, I, I, I have said that I plan to bring someone from across party lines to come in and help me uh, make that list of possible demographers to send over. And, uh, and, I, and I would actually send more than three so I could give them a chance to, uh, you know, actually veto up a up to a third and send that back to even make okay. it more unbiased. Uh, and so I want, I and, and that's another reason I don't agree with it being at the auditor's office because you never know who is going to become the auditor. I think it would immediately politicize an office that should be nonpartisan and nonpolitical. And, and so I will do my best to set up procedures in the office to make sure that that's done in a very unbiased, nonpartisan way. But who's to say the auditor after me is going to continue to do it the same way? And so I have concerns with that. Again, I'm going to work with the legislature to try to see if there's some way that we can put some guidelines in place there at the auditor's office to make sure that that always stays an unbiased process. And I asked this too to Auditor Galway. It's interesting that the 2015 initiatives that were the precursor to pre, um, uh, Clean Missouri 
had either the commission remaining in place or the governor's office or the office of administration choosing the demographer. After 2016, when the governor became a Republican, suddenly it's the auditor's office. I don't think that there's much a coincidence there. Do you think so? Not at all. And that's, again, a concern with Clean Missouri or what Proposition 1 uh, is, or Amendment 1, uh, that that I think that this is done deliberately because uh, they're hoping that, you know, this is the only statewide office. This is still held by a Democrat. And, uh, and, and, uh, and if, if you really think about it, if you didn't like where it was at, what would make more sense? It would make more sense to most people that it would go to the Secretary of State's office, not the auditor's office. It doesn't even make sense that it would be there. Why uh, the Secretary of State's office? Well, I'm they just... deal with elections. And, and I was there, you know, with the Securities Division. And, and even Secretary Ashcroft has said, you know, it's interesting that this, the Secretary of State's office is kind of like this conglomerate of all these different offices put into one there. And so it wouldn't. It would make more sense to put that duty over there instead of adding it to the auditor's office that has very specific duties and nothing related to redistricting whatsoever. Now, before we get into the back and forth, I do want to also bring up an issue that your your opponent has brought up. She has been outspoken against undisclosed money in Missouri politics, colloquial, colloquially known as dark money. Um, and, you know, the auditor's office doesn't necessarily have a direct role in that, but I'd be interested to hear your opinion about money that is flowing into the political process where you don't know the donors, because I know there are a lot of Republicans who are on board with that, but there's also people in your own party who have been increasingly vocal against that, especially after the former governor used that to attack other Republicans. So what's your opinion on so-called dark money? Well, I'm very concerned with dark money, it's, and it's it has been an issue. It could continue to be an issue. Uh, and it's interesting that my opponent is so against it when she's in, in favor of clean Missouri, and a lot of dark money has gone into clean Missouri. Uh, but dark money is... <sighs> It's in essence money that cannot be traced back to the source, right? And so because of these um, campaign contribution limits that they've put in place here recently, it's actually made way for more PACs to be set up and made things even more uh, less transparent because now they've put limits. And just because limits are in place doesn't mean that we're, we have to spend any less money. It just um, it, it, it hurts us in, or, in order to get the money in. And so people do start using PACs, which makes way for the dark money. But dark money is only dark if you can't trace it back. And a lot of these PACs, you can still trace the money back to the actual source. And that's on both sides of the fence. That's Republicans and Democrats. And, and I'm completely against dark money. I, I try not to take any money where I, you know, obviously don't know where the source is and we report everything. Uh, I'm very, I, I, I tell people, I'm, I'm so open with communication and transparency. I always wanted to be in the FBI. And I think they would have kicked me out because I just tell way too much information on things. All right. So... Are, would you be in favor of getting rid of campaign donation limits? I mean, would you prefer not and, to see and that's limits? Hypoth- and that would require a whole statewide vote. Yeah, you would have to, you would have to You would have to repeal um, amendment, too. But I'd right. be interested in your opinion on that. I really, since, since I've now, run, you know, been, been on a campaign here with the limits, I understand um, kind of, you know, obviously this side of it now. And, and like I said, it does make way for uh, from people to have to do things uh, to kind of behind the scenes and, and, and make, makes it harder for good people to run for office because, you know, like me, I don't have a lot of money. I have five babies and five mouths to feed, including my husband and, and me and a dog. And so we don't have, you know, $500,000 to put into an account. And I think it actually encourages rich people now to run because there's no limit on how much money they can put in. And I like the transparency part of it where, you know, even if someone does give you a million dollars, well, you have to report it and you know where that money's coming from, where now that's that's not going to be the case going forward. Now, now do, you, do you have any views on any of the other uh, ballot? initiatives, the major ones, including like the minimum wage proposal to increase the minimum wage, 
there's various proposals to legalize uh, marijuana and its products for medicinal use. Um, any any observations about those? Well, and there's also the gas tax that's yes. on there, and uh, and I and I do I thought very hard about the gas tax one because uh, because I have been all over the state and I've seen the roads and the bridges, and I'm very concerned with the safety of Missourians, and so I uh, have gone back and forth on that. I like that the auditor is able to go in and uh, and audit that and make sure that's actually being used for the for the stated purposes. But with the with one of, part of my plan, my Every Dollar Works plan, I've been talking about is actually looking into funds that have uh, never been audited by the state auditor or, or sometimes any other any other auditor. And uh, and in these funds, there's a lot of money sitting there. And so that's one area that I want to work with the elected officials or the, the state agencies that house those funds. So if they do have money sitting there that's not being used, I'd like to work with the legislature to try to move that money over to places we can use it, like the bridges and roads and, you know, our, our school system. And so I'm planning to work with that as well. But but I think the tax, because like I said, the safety of our citizens is, is my 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 main concern and doing the calculation it really only adds about two dollars a year onto someone like me uh, so I I really I'm in favor of that um, medical marijuana I, I am a veteran and I know there are a lot of concerns with uh, with veterans with mental uh, instability and seizures and cancer patients I do see how medical marijuana could could very much help certain people however I also think it's a gateway for recreational marijuana to come in uh, onto the ballot maybe next year and I think you know seeing the stats coming from Colorado and some other places, I think that could be detrimental to our, to our state. And so I would I would not be opposed to medical, but I think that, like I said, it's a gateway to the recreational use, and I, and I would not agree with recreational. Now, what about the minimum wage? Minimum wage, you know, it, that's difficult because I, I am, you know, pro-business, and I think that that should be left up to the businesses. Uh, but I also understand that, you know, I, I am the people's auditor, and I understand it's hard to make a living on the salary at a minimum wage salary. And so I do. I see both sides on that. I'm really, I'm kind of glad that's on the, on the ballot and be left up to the people to decide on what, what they'd like to do with that. All right. So let's talk about the discourse in this race. You know, I, I noted that uh, I had not seen a auditor candidate like Nicole Galloway be so aggressive against an opponent as she was in the Missouri uh, Press Association well, debate. Yeah, well, although I've seen it, but it's way back in the early nineties. My, my yeah, I've only worked for twelve years. You've worked <laughs> for more than twelve years, so let's 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 start. He's trying to. I've worked for forty years. Okay, so well, I've she always <laughs> she always jokes about like how she covered things before I was born. So I guess I was just uh, referencing that. I know he was trying to be polite. <laughs> so let's start on uh, your, your former job at the attorney general's office because Auditor Galloway has accused you of misrepresenting what you actually did there. I'm going to play a clip from her and have you respond. Uh, number one. We can find no instance in which she was involved in a case where uh, there was a ruling of Medicaid fraud. If you look, DSS, the Department of Social Services, handles and investigates and audits Medicaid. Um, and if there is fraud, it is handed over to the Medicaid fraud unit. She was not part of the Medicaid fraud unit. Um, she didn't manage auditors or investigators in the Attorney General's office. And those that did, those that actually did that work, were very surprised to hear her take credit for their work. Did they not have a finding of Medicaid fraud? She was, she was part of a pool of attorneys that handled administrative hearings. There is a separate unit within the Attorney General's office that handles Medicaid fraud, and she was not part of that. And there was also an article in the Kansas City Star where somebody who used to work for the Attorney General's office also accused you of misrepresenting what you did. 
So I want to give you the chance to respond both to Auditor Galloway and the Kansas City Star article. Sure. And it's not surprising that Auditor Galloway does not know what she's talking about because she's not an attorney and she's never worked for the attorney general's office. Um, I, as an, as an assistant attorney general, you are a prosecutor. We are prosecuting uh, the cases that we take there. And so when, the, the like I said, I uh, worked with, my clients were MAC. So she's talking about the Missouri Medicaid Audit and Compliance Unit. Those were my clients. And so I worked uh, directly with the director of MAC. Uh, and those are the auditor and auditors and investigators there. Uh, and so when, when a Medicaid provider was terminated from the provider status or suspended, then, that, then they have appeal rights. And so then I would uh, become the attorney on that case, working with the auditors and investigators to basically litigate that stage of things. And that most of those cases, when they're terminated or suspended, it's, it's fraud. That's why, that they're termina- that's why they're terminated. And so we would basically take that to litigation through the, uh, the Administrative Hearing Council and then through Cole County Court if, if they appealed it further. Uh, and so it was prosecuting the fraud that was happening. We would actually make them pay back the money in my cases, uh, recouping the money that was fraudulently uh, coded you know, wrong uh, in their billing practices. Uh, and so as I've said, I've done the civil side of the matter. Now, Mafuku, what she's talking about, is the criminal aspect of the attorney general's office. I knew all the attorneys there. I worked very closely with them. I would refer my matter, the civil side, over to the criminal side for them to use my deposition testimonies that I took on on my side and and, and uh, allowed them to prosecute it criminally. And so the person that she reached out to was the chief of Mafuku, um, very nice lady. And um, I, I don't know what how it was posed to her. Um, she's not she's not wrong at all. I never worked for Mafuku. I worked in the financial services division and then referred all of my civil stuff over to the criminal side where they were able to go after them criminally. And so I I have never stated that I've done anything prosecuted criminally in any way. I've never stated that I've worked for Mafuku. Uh, I worked closely with them to refer things over. And then I worked with the auditors and investigators at MMAC. And if you go to MMAC or talk to the director, Jesse Dresner, they'll tell you exactly what I did and how instrumental I was in uncovering the fraud and the uh, abuse in the Medicaid system. The other line of attack that's coming against you is relates to your residency in the state and your financial issues you've had in the past. I'm going to have Nicole Galloway uh, explain that line of attack right now. There certainly are questions about her constitutional eligibility to serve as state auditor. Uh, Really, for me, what this is about is there's no question she's not qualified to be state auditor, and that's what this campaign is. Um, You know, this is a very public job interview to be the state's top fiscal watchdog. And uh, why would taxpayers turn over their multi-billion dollar checkbook to somebody that has no ability to balance her own finances? I think this also goes to the heart of uh, being truthful uh, and forthcoming with information. Uh, As we all know, she claimed to live in Missouri. Part of that time she lived in Kansas. She was not truthful about that. And uh, she still has not explained that to us. So the residency part is admittingly a moot point because nobody sued over your residency. And when I say it's a moot point, it's not going to matter for whether you can run or not. But as uh, Otter Galloway said, she contends you haven't been super truthful about your residency and how long you've lived here. I want to give you the chance to respond to that. I've always been um, completely transparent with that. Even in the primary, I told everyone that the two issues they're going to attack me on after I win this are 
ta-da, ta-da, and that's the two things that she's attacking me on. Uh, and like you said, it's a non-issue, the residency. Uh, I didn't tell a lot about that because if I were to get sued, I wanted to make sure I had all of that evidence uh, to be able to, pr- to to bring to court if I needed to. Yeah, I mean, just so our listeners understand, I mean, to run for the statewide office, you're supposed to have lived in Missouri 10 years. Correct. And 10 years ago, I was in law school, um, and I met my husband in law school. And uh, and But but prior to the 10-year requirement, um, I actually had already planted my foot in Missouri. I already, my husband and I had already met. We'd already um, planned to get married here. Uh, we only took the Missouri bar. Uh, case law has been very clear on this point that with Kit Bond's case, I, I believe I would have uh, definitely won that case. Uh, and I think they didn't sue because they knew that they would have lost that case. And, and even since Kit Bond's case, we had Antonio, who was sued for residency as well. And the federal court held the 10-year requirement to be unconstitutional. And so, like you said, it's a non-issue. I'm fully qualified. In fact, I think out of all the candidates uh, and, and prior auditors that that we've had, I'm one of the most qualified uh, candidates for auditor because of my resume, being a veteran of the Air Force, and my passion to serve the, the state. Well, one of the more damaging um, accusations has to do with your finances. I mean, you've got wages garnished. You've been... Um, sued, if I understand, multiple times for non-payment of bills, correct? Uh, You had to leave your house. Um, That was all related to one case, though, and that's what Nicole Galloway keeps saying is that... Okay, so what we're... So go ahead and explain to our listeners what the deal is. Okay. She she's saying that I've been sued all, you know, multiple times, but again, she's not an attorney. She doesn't understand that when you look at CaseNet, all of these cases were all related to the same issue. And when you file in, and when they file it in different counties, it's a, it's a transcript judgment because if they wanted to try to levy on property or anything like that, they have to file in that county. So she's counting up all these lawsuits if you will, but it's all the same lawsuit. Okay. And, and what lo- that is is we had a lease option contract on a house in Springfield. We had just had our second set of twins. We had four babies in diapers at the same time. Now, when did and this happen? This was in um, 2015. Uh, and uh, we thought we'd be able to live in this house for 20 plus years. It was a six bedroom house, not a mansion, as, as she would say. You could go online and look at it. It's basically a bedroom house. Uh, and uh, and we, we thought, you know, this would be a place we could live for, you know, 20 plus years. Uh, well, two, and we had actually, we tacked on the furniture in the house to the purchase price. Uh, and so that would made the purchase price go up a little bit because of that. Well, $50,000. Uh, and so when we moved in two months in, we re, uh, we found out that the owners did not have good title to the furniture. And so we tried to renegotiate that. They wouldn't do it. Uh, they they said, no, no, we have good title, but they couldn't pr- produce any evidence of that. And so because I'm, a, I'm an attorney and I know from contract law that if you continue to perform under a contract as written, even if you disagree with it, you acquiesce to that. And so what my husband and I did was we took off the amount that we attacked on for the furniture, recalculated the lease lease payments and paid them accordingly. They took that the first two months and then they refused to take it anymore and said, you know, if we, they don't, if we don't pay the full amount, they would sue. We said, fine, sue us. We moved out. And, uh, and so they sued. And so we've been paying on that ever since. We offered them a lump sum. They would not take it. And they chose to garnish our wages. And I think that's because they get interest. And so they've been collecting an, a, a, an outrageous amount of money. And the, and the judge was actually wrong in her decision. Um, she, dub- she double charged us $15,000 because there were two cases that were filed. We did not appeal it because we had four babies in diapers. And it was very stressful for us to go through that at the time. Uh, and so we decided to just pay this, uh, go on with our lives. Never thought I would run for office and this will be plastered all over the state of Missouri and, and my opponent would be attacking me on it, but that's what's happening. Okay, because I want to make sure we've got this clear. Okay, so you ended up being sued by the by the previous owners for not paying because of the dispute over the furniture. Correct. 
the previous owners won in court. Correct. Correct. Okay. And because of the continued dispute over the money, your wages have been garnished. Is that correct? Yes. We tried to offer them a lump sum to pay it off, and they denied that, and they garnished our wages instead. And I think that's because you get interest on it. And, and So are your wages still garnished? Well, I'm not currently working, so my wages are not garnished, but my husband's are. And, and is this all related? There's another article about having a Kansas address in 2013. Is that related to this lawsuit as well, or is that separate? No, the Kansas address was just a temporary residence. We worked in the plaza. I worked in the plaza in Kansas City, and it was it was basically, it was chip, cheap rent. We were pregnant already with the first set of twins, and uh, we lived there very temporarily. temporarily. Um, that was just, again, I mean, the, she wants to attack me on residency and saying that I'm not a resident, but if you look at the case law and the statute on it, um, you know, that's, that's obviously temporary. We were in Missouri way before that. We lived in Missouri. We still had our office in Missouri. And so to me, that is irrelevant. So let's talk about the other aspect of the campaign. You do not have nearly as much money in the bank. She at, has 50 times. As, as, as Nicole Galloway. She can, Nicole Galloway can run ads attacking you left and right. And at this point, you She's don't, doing it. And she is doing it. This is why we're asking <laughs> well, you I knew about she it. would. It's yeah. not shocking to me. But, but uh, my question is, it does not seem like you have the resources to respond on the television airwaves. How are you going to be able to combat some of the some of the ads that are going up if, if you don't have the financial resources to do it. Well, just like I'm doing now, I'm a, mm-hmm. I'm a very good source. Uh, uh, I'm a very, very good at using the resources I have and being very efficient. Uh, and, I, and I've shown that with, with my history, even with the primary. Um, so I'm getting all the free, free press I can get. I'm going around and still working very hard, making all the stops I can in every town, uh, getting press there. And, and for her to tout that she has all this money and she's spending such an exorbitant amount of money uh, as the auditor is just... It's disgusting, in all honesty, um, that, you know, for her to say that she, uh, uh, you know, has all this money and she's actually going to spend it all on this when she really doesn't need to. uh, I mean, I plan to win and I will win with under $50,000. Well, if she if you plan to win, then doesn't she need to? I mean, I'm just. If, if she were actually working, then uh, then she wouldn't need to. But she hasn't been campaigning at all. She hasn't gone anywhere. In fact, everywhere I go in Missouri, they say, well, we we uh, invited Nicole Galloway here, and she she didn't respond. We, she won't debate me anymore either. There were four or five places that called out uh, to get dates from us, and the only one she would agree to was the Missouri Press Association, and that was actually closed to the public. So she doesn't want to talk to you. She does not want to talk to the people of Missouri, and she doesn't want to hear your concerns. And as I've talked to people, law enforcement, everyone that I can talk to, they say when they they tell her their concerns, she looks like she's not even listening to them. And I want to ask you about how you think the Senate race is going to affect this contest, because there have been instances, for example, in 2002, where Jim Talent won, but Claire McCaskill won as well. But then yeah, there she was, was running for audit when she was running for audit. But then there was 2010, where Roy Blunt won by a huge margin, and we got Tom Schweik out of it. How much do you think your fate is tied to how well Josh Hawley does? I know you're running different campaigns. But I do feel like these two races are linked because as much as I would want the auditor's race to be, you know, top of mind for everybody, it really is kind of much lower profile than the Senate race. So I'd be interested in your, your take on that. I think obviously it helps. It would definitely help if uh, Josh Hawley were to win. And I and I definitely want him to win uh, because I, I do think that uh, McCaskill does not represent the values of Missouri any, anymore. But, uh, but I don't think it's tied as much as people may think. I am working very hard and I have a huge grassroots effort uh, where I have a significant following of people that support me and 
And and like I said, I mean, I I give I give the glory to God. God told me to do this. I'm doing this for him. I'm supposed to be here. And I don't liken myself to Trump in any other way besides saying that I do think that he uh, is in office right now for this time uh, to fix some issues that are out there. And I, I really think that I am too. And so I think regardless whether Josh Hawley wins, I think that I will be in that office in January. Now, um, you do have some assistance or some help like Jake Silverman and others. Are people doing work as an in-kind contribution? Do you have other people who are sort of helping since, frankly, you don't really have enough money to have much of a staff? And they know that. And that's why, I mean, people have been so supportive. A lot of people are helping for free, just volunteering. There are some in-kind donations as well. There's only uh, uh, one or two people that I'm actually paying because I felt like I really needed their help and they needed the money. Uh, And so, again, I'm very efficient. And and I've had so many people that have just uh, really uh, have a lot of faith in me, thankfully. And I'm very humbled by that. And so so I think that's, you know, how I'm able to get, you know, the, the work uh, because they, they believe in me. My final question to you, if you're able to unseat Nicole Galloway in about two or three weeks, what message do you think it would send for Missouri politics? I think it sends that the people are tired. They're tired of government misusing their money. They're tired of the corruption and fraud happening in our state, and they're wanting someone to come in and do something about it. As I've been campaigning, people, even in the primary, people told me their problems and, and hoping that I would do something about it. And some of these things have gone on for years and years and years without anyone doing anything about it. And the best thing about me in this position is that I am not a politician. Galloway says she's not a politician in her video, but yet she's our state auditor. Uh, which is, in essence, that that is a politician. Uh, I have never run for office. I've never wanted to run for office, but I feel called to do this at this time. And I don't know the power power people. I don't know the people out there that have money. I know I'm going to get pushback, but I don't care. I'm here to do a job. I'm here to do a job on behalf of the people of Missouri, and that is what I will do. And they know that, and that's why I will I will get the votes November sixth. And I again I ask for the vote as well because I do plan to do that. I want to thank you so much for coming into the studio today. I think it's really important for the voters to get a, a, a robust picture of both candidates. And I'm really thankful that both the Republican and Democratic candidates for auditor did this. For all of our stories, stlpublicradio.org. Follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. Follow Joe on Twitter at... Jay Manis. That's J-M-A-N-N-I-E-S. And how could people find out more about your campaign, either on Twitter or other parts of the World Wide Web? I have my website, sondraformissouri.com, and then uh, Facebook and Twitter at McDowellformo. Thank you very much. Until next time, so long. Sponsored by Lou Fuse Alfa Romeo of Metro East.